everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, doctoral student in psychology. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. In this life, no man is an island unto himself. In fact, humanity is not an island unto itself. No matter how individualistic or independent we may be, the fact is our lives rely heavily on many other entities, human and otherwise. Within this construct, we become members of innumerable groups, from families to companies to countries. Whether it's belonging to the human race or being a partner in a marriage, there's no denying we feel the need to just belong. Okay, so this one, um, it wasn't really a listener request, um, but a friend of mine um, posted on Facebook that he he feels that to him, happiness is um, feeling a sense of belonging, right? Yep. And I immediately had a negative reaction to this. I said, well, I don't believe that because, um, you know, if, if I, I can enjoy a sunset by myself and that's happiness, right? I don't need anybody to be mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, being philosophical, you start to trace it back and all, this is, all of a sudden you get back to, well, you know, technically, if I didn't belong to, you know, <laughs> anything there'd be no humans and I wouldn't be here to enjoy a sunset. So maybe you do, maybe belonging is necessary in order to have happiness, you know? (laughs) I've got five different thoughts already. So I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to follow your pattern, man. Cause I, I, yeah, yeah, there's, it's complicated. (laughs) Yeah. My, uh, a lot of my internal thoughts go the same way our conversations do. It starts out very simple. And then the more you start picking (laughs) apart, you realize that it's uh, impossibly complex. Um, which is part of the charm and frustration with our show, right? Some people love it and some people hate it. Just, you know, you never get anywhere. You never answer anything. Well, you know, well, the que- I guess the question is, are, have, are there answers? Are there answers? And we have fun poking at them trying to find some. So, I mean, look, if Forky can do it, so can we. Yeah. <laughs> so, let, I guess let's start out with what is it? What is belonging? The etymology of of the word is really it, it surprised me i hadn't i hadn't looked into that and to, and it's old english that that part's not surprising it's 14th century uh, ish um but the notion that it uh, arises having a pertaining to uh being associated with related to or uh property of hmm. so so belonging has a kind of um, troubling proprietarian strand in its original uh, iteration, but the idea of of, of going along with hmm. uh, is interesting, and I think that that's yeah, relevant. yeah that um that kind of foreshadows some of our our future discussion on it, you know, because there's um there's really kind of um a couple ways to think about belonging right there's um and this isn't i don't think this is a technical term in the discussion of it but the way i would put it is there's um an ascribed element to belonging and there's an attributional element Mm. to belonging Mm. right um if you're picking up on what i'm saying can you can you sort of outline the two of them or would you like me to i well i i want you to start with that i think i'm picking up on where you are but i'd like I like the ascribed, and the second one was attributive. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's 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 also a third one, and that would be um, 
aspirational, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a good place to start. So in my crackpot philosophy here, this is, <laughs> this is the way I'd put it. Right. So, um, ascribed, right. That's, that's something that you're, you're kind of born with. You're born belonging to certain groups, right? Mm-hmm. You're born with a family you, you don't get to choose your family. You're born with them. Um, you're born with any of the physical attributes that make you up. Um, you're born as a human or an animal or any of these other things, right? There's so the things that you're born with, that's kind of your um, ascribed yep. groups that you belong to. Attributional belonging is groups that you belong to based off of the actions or choices that you make throughout life right so i you choose your friends kind of your friends sort of choose you too there's a back and forth yes, there. yes, but there um you know the the groups if i decide that i want to join uh you know the, the rotary club or something right then that's i'm choosing to do that that's part of you know an, an attributional belonging i have certain attributes i'm following a certain thing um now, aspirational, that'd be a little bit different, right? Because that's a group that you want to belong to, but yep. there is a threshold or a guardian that you have to um, conform to certain ways in order to belong yes, to. A, a, a codification of some kind that you must accept in order to <laughs> be part of it. Right. And so, yeah, I, I like where you're going with this. I think that that's because because ascriptional, uh, the ascribed... You don't get to choose. However, uh, let's say you're 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 born, uh, and 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 the early part of your life, you're not terribly physically fit. There is an aspirational part of that that can change. There, there's also the attributive part mm. that, that that can change. So it's not like you're born; you're always going to look like you look uh, absolutely. Uh, so they they blend. Yeah, that's that's a really good example because there's a, there's an interaction between all three there, right? You could be um, born with certain uh, genetic attributes. Maybe you're you know you're small boned or you're big boned, right? Hmm. And then you have um, attributional, or you know you have the aspirational part where you want to you want to be in shape or right. you want to be you know something or another. Then you have the the attributional part, which is how you put in the effort in order to get to where your your goals want to be. So it's almost a there is there's an interplay between all three. You're making me think about this. I was walking. Well, I, I walk with my granddaughter every day. We go visit places, but she's getting more used to what's on Main Street. I'll be talking about what this building is, what that building is. Well, uh, where we live, there's a place called the Moose Club. <laughs> Has a big picture of a moose on the top, and and in you know she's she's very young, and so she's she uh, said only mooses go in, <laughs> and and, and uh, I. I I, I don't see moose and 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 have to be moose and, and 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 so that whole thing is bound up there can you be in the moose club if you're not a moose <laughs> and what does it take to be a moose what's the code because right. I told her well it's not really moose <laughs> it's just they they chose that that picture <laughs> it's a perfectly rational thing to think <laughs> yeah look at it. yeah um, yeah and so we've all right, so we've, we've defined these three categories. Mm-hmm. 
And the interesting thing is coming back to the main topic, right? We're talking about belonging. So how we interact with these groups. So I guess an interesting question would be going back to my initial um, objection, right? Mm -hmm. Can belonging occur in isolation? Aristotle would have said no, but who cares what Aristotle said? <laughs> there's another old white guy, but he's, but still, there, there's some contribution to the <laughs> the world of thought. Uh, to be a thing in the world, for Aristotle, to be uh, in the world, to be something in the world, you have to belong to a particular species, and this is what you were mm-hmm. just talking about. Uh, you, you act um, toward an end. Of, of some kind, and and then he, but he associated it with work. So you're a manager. You you work at a factory. So uh, you have to form material into organized holes. Hmm. You you are involved in making something. In other words, and, and to do that, you're probably going to be in some way or other associated with other people. So belonging in in that sense to actualize. I'm using Maslow's terms, but. But it's okay to jump to Maslow because Maslow has the hierarchy, right? The psychological and and just below self actualization is belonging. Hmm. It's it's like the fourth level up, I think, if my memory is right. But it's way up there. Yeah, yeah. And so coming back to um, the original individual that that made this post, right? What he said um, wouldn't be objected to by Maslow at all. You know, Maslow would look at that as being. Um, sort of a prerequisite to getting to that higher level of um, being human, you know? And so I think that, you know, where it gets complicated is now that we've defined these three categories, um, which is just us, you know, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think anybody else has defined them, but I think that they're relatively accurate. Um, Like I said in the intro, you know, humanity isn't even an island, right? We're, we're part of the world. So we belong to the human race. Um, but that's not enough to be self-sufficient, you know? So we, we depend on these other things. Um, so in some ways, belonging can't occur in isolation. And that probably comes down to a lot of the ascribed um, belonging. Yeah. Yeah. The things that you are born with, um, you necessarily belong to with in conjunction with other people um when it comes to attributional or aspirational belonging um do you think that that's something you can do without interaction from other people or do you think that there's always going to be some sort of um sociological element to it i think there's a sociological element to it but i but you know because of this question, I went back and was doing some reading because we always do when questions come up, and 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 thinking back through Sartre and then and and, and, and more recent things, the you can uh, many people now are talking about the first element of belonging is to belong to yourself, and in order to belong to yourself, uh, there's a lot of work to do to figure out just who it is. Hmm. That you are, and how you are becoming. There's, uh, there's, there, there's some essays one can find where it's uh, you're essentially. I think it's David White. Uh, you're you're searching. 
if you're searching for yourself, what you're really doing is saying, well, I'm not this, I'm not this, I did this today, but that's really not me. And, and, and the act of disassociating yourself from some of your acts is a long path around saying, I'm trying to find my way home. And there are poets and philosophers who say the only home that there really is is whatever is inside of you. Right. So that's necessarily a philosophical endeavor. Yes. And it's necessary part of then how are you going to belong to something else if you're not even sure who you are? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're, you're just willy-nilly, oh, well, I like what they do, so I'll, I'll believe what they're believing for a while. There, there's the authentic part of it, I think, for any one of us is to try to figure out where where we belong with a particular uh, association, hmm. whether it's a unit of any kind of family or whatever. Where do we, we, we reject parts of our family. Some of us, we, we, we reject parts of what we don't whole cloth say, they're my family and so they're perfect and so everything that they say goes. I don't think any one of us who ever rebelled <laughs> would, would accept that. And with this morning before the show, when we were talking about you, just because somebody takes a label, if we let that label simply define them in all ways, we are not only doing them them a disservice, we're doing our own mentality a disservice, because we know pretty well that human beings are much more complicated and paradoxical and oxymoronic than that. Hmm. Um, so belonging doesn't necessarily mean being owned by absolutely or or swallowing the Kool-Aid <laughs> for any particular group um, as you're probing what they stand for. And you say, well, I stand for this, but I don't stand for that. So I'll call myself this, but I'm not that. I think this is what happens with religions. It's what happens with Catholicism in various countries, uh, Christianity of various sects, uh, sects and varieties, uh, organizations like the moose or whatever it happens to be. What's the difference between a moose and a Kiwanis? You know? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you'd have to, that would be a good question, right? Yeah. You'd have to look at their codes. What does it mean to be a Mandalorian? <laughs> this is the way. Well, which part, which Mandalorian group? Because apparently, jumping into the fiction, there's more than one code. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, um, you know, I was, I, we were talking about it before the show. I was I was in a meeting with you know some of the the higher ups um, in a webinar talking about silicone rubber manufacturing, right? Mm-hmm. And and another guy that that works for me, he was involved with um, glass making for a long time, and he said, you know, to this day, I walk past a skyscraper and I can tell if one window is shinier than the other, they put the coating on the wrong side, they put the window on the wrong side, mm-hmm. or if you see if you see a window that has wavy lines, it means that you know it, it was laminated wrong and this sort of stuff, right? So things that you take for granted, and even things at a very basic or simplistic level, are highly diverse, you yes. know. And yeah. and you know, some of us may laugh at it, you know, thinking about like a maverick or rebellious um, element of the Kiwanis Club, right? But these things have serious consequences, even in, you know, my hometown here, you know, looking at um, the library, right? You mm-hmm. know, something that you don't you don't think of as being very controversial, you know, um, there's large amounts of taxpayer money, there's, you know, ads, there's groups that are against each other, there's all these things, right? 
So it doesn't really matter um, what what the group is. Um, there's going to be people that belong. There's going to be people that don't belong. And there's going to be people within that group that have different ideations about what the group should be and, and what's going on. And that's what Sartre was talking about. So I'll go back to existentialism because I still think it's it's viable. And and he says the, the, the individual understood as belonging to a certain social situation, but not totally determined by that social situation. But that requires of the individual going beyond what they're given, the code, whatever it is, and saying, nope, it's more complicated than that. I, I, I object, I revise, I rebel, I push back. And then you've got the organization saying, hey, you don't believe what we believe, you're out. <laughs> or uh, you, you aren't the boss of me, so I'm going to tell you this organization is going to change, and, 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 and. Yeah, and we're seeing that happen um, in the... Republican political party right yes, now, right? Yes, we are. Yeah. So, you know, a few years ago, you had the um, the Tea Party movement, and they were looked at as like a, a sort of splinter um, offshoot of the Republican Party. And then um, Donald Trump became president, right? And you had this sort of this sort of shocking power shift, and you saw people starting to conform opinions or or you know, there was there was argument, there was debate, there was all this stuff. But we've reached a point now where there's uh, becoming a slow solidification behind um, the more uh, extreme beliefs there. And, you know, there there might be a party split, but I think that when you look at the power dynamics in the American political system, I think it's more likely that people will just fall in line behind the more extreme position. And so, mm. you know, regardless of what your views are on the Republican Party, it is a fascinating case study in it's a process, it, right? And yeah, and how something, um, you know, and especially look at what the things stood for. Um, you know, a big one that just popped up this week was um, Ted Cruz uh, mocking the military, right? Yeah. Saying that there's an emasculated military. Yeah. And the Republicans have traditionally been the party of um, military support, unquestioning military support. Mm -hmm. So you see a shift like that, and you realize, you know, how beliefs and rhetoric and these sorts of things how they can evolve relatively quickly right this has been pretty much less than a decade they, they evolve the relatively quickly but they also cloak so so in Cruz's case what it says cloaking is actually it's saying you know you got to have essentially he's saying you got to have big tough guys being in the army and if you're a trans person or you're a woman or 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 you you can't you you can't be a big tough guy i mean he's he's cloaking in that case so there's an ev there's a seeming evolution but there's also a cloaking of the of the the underlying agenda which is, goes back to a stereotype um so it's not a moving forward uniformly there there's i think there's a and and that's what that's what these you know these guys are Kurt Vonnegut you and I were talking about him this morning. Uh, he was saying that that the, the trouble in our society, we, we, in a marriage, you, you expect uh, your your partner to be everything in the world uh, to you, and that's just not generally viable. You, you uh, your family, unless you have a large family, uh, that's not necessarily viable. He's saying, you know, you got to have at least fifty or more people if you're kind of, and and so he says, I recommend that everybody here. This is the commencement address. Join all sorts of organizations, no matter how.
how ridiculous simply to get more people in his or her life. It doesn't matter much if all the other members are morons. Quantities of relatives of any sort are what we need. <laughs> <laughs> to 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 bounce off of and <laughs> so yeah and you know we've talked about a little a little bit about that in the past you know like I've always lived in in the one town and um I really didn't have any meaningful interactions with yeah. people of other races until I joined the army right and you know on the whole I don't you know, I regard that as sort of a, a wash, right? I have some really good experiences. I met some really good people and there's some things about it that I, I didn't care for. Um, but the fact is that being in there and meeting all kinds of different people definitely broadened my horizons, broadened my thinking, gave me some different perspective on things, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that's really important. Um, but yeah, you know, thinking about... And so groups, groups can change just like individuals can change, right? Yes, so exactly. I mean, you see that's this, where you were going with that. Yeah, you yeah. see that development within the Republican Party. Yeah. And one thing that about that situation that that really gave me a a giggle was the the language used. Ted Cruz used the word emasculated. Yes, and it got me thinking back to um, the election. And when you look at the term emasculated, to be made weaker. You know, to be less effective in a situation. I think about what Donald Trump did to Ted Cruz, you oh know, my gosh. and then how, you know, <laughs> the yeah. fall in line. I think, well, that that to me is a very is a much more um, appropriate use of the word emasculate. <laughs> I, I, I would say so. Too. I mean, I, I, again, I, I it just take the case in by itself. Most of us, unless we. Utterly hated our fathers. There's something primal about someone insulting one's father or mother, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, to to be uh, to go through a whole raft of excoriations about uh, one's father, uh, his attitude, his inabilities, and so on and so forth, and then to say, "Yeah, yeah, you're right. Dad was like that because I really like you." Mm. That's essentially how I see somebody like Cruz. Right. <laughs> and I do not, I, I just find it vile. Yeah. Now, in, in, in the sense of, uh, you don't have to worship your father or anybody else in your family. I, I don't think that that's healthy. You have, you've defied over your life. Well, most of us have, or have, find ourselves very, in very different places, politically, socially, whatever. But there's still a primal element that says, unless it's been an abusive relationship, unless it's been just an ugly, violent, awful thing, and and unfortunately people experience that. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about standard father stuff. Mm. (laughs) I I do not see how one could, could accept all of that and, and, and say, oh yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. Ted Cruz to me is one of the most repulsive people on the planet, and and I'm I'm a political independent. I you know I voted yes, I voted yes. conservative. I voted liberal. I voted independent. I've gone all different ways. I've you know I look at things by a case by case issue, and I've and this is a case beliefs. by case issue. <laughs> and I mean, you see some of it happen on on both sides. You know, I mean, you look at Biden and Harris's election and the way that they spoke in debates about each other and. You know, and you think, well, you know, some of that is it some of that same falling in line or is it some of people changing opinions or, you know, how you want to look at things. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, when 
in certain cases you look at it and you think this is just doesn't doesn't seem and we're talking about a belonging (laughs) so right now we're 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 implying a club of the club of fathers and sons (laughs) or the club of children's and children and fathers let's say all right and so we're implying that there's a code in there Hmm. or suggesting a code uh, that all written out nicely detailed and subscripted and so on but superscripted but it's but it's we're suggesting that it's there and 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 he's he's not in the club <laughs> so, so there's a we're saying he doesn't belong in 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 this sacrosanct club somehow um, I, I just want to you know pulling it to what we're talking about we 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 seem to just constantly determine whether something belongs or whether it doesn't right so that that'll kind of lead us into the next question right which is you talked about it in the etymology and now we're sort of addressing it here is there always an element of ownership to belonging do you think i think so um and that may go to that proprietarian thing back in the 14th century that uh, not ownership as in the ownership of people which that may to some extent have been about um but but I guess we'll use the capitalistic, we're saying owning anyway, buying into, uh, uh, making a transactional, I'm willing to give my time to you because I believe in what your, what your codes say. I think that the trouble is that to keep with the capitalistic, uh, most of us probably don't know exactly what we're getting into, let's say, in a workplace. Uh, I, w- I spent 33 years in one place, and uh, what that place was, and what it became, and how it changed because of leadership and social pressures and everything else, th- th- it wasn't a static thing. Hmm. Constant rewriting of mission statements, going from a sentence to three pages, you know, and and, and all. But I think that, like. Oddly, like all of these agreements we make, we've talked about before. When you want to use an app, and you got to <laughs> yeah, yeah. do we do we really read through all the pages and pages before we press the button because I want to play the game or press the button because I want the service? I think an awful uh, a lot of us probably do not look chapter and verse at the codified beliefs or or uh, uh, statements of an organization. Yeah, yeah, and, and you and I talked that one of the questions I asked you about that was. Do you think that it's still valid or binding, even though people don't read it? And you said yes. And I would agree with that, right? Because somebody has the option, right? You have the option to read through the whole agreement and understand exactly what you're getting into. Um, But we choose not to because of how we value our time or, you know, what we believe the consequences to be. Belonging is very similar, right? Um, We... Of course, you know, the ascribed to belong, we don't have a choice in, but the aspirational and the attributional, we do have a say in, but lots of times we don't give it much thought, right? You know, we, if you decide, I mean, lots of times you don't even decide if you're going to become friends with somebody. And I've talked about this in the past is one of my favorite lines. Um, Introverts don't make friends. They're just adopted by extroverts. And that's (laughs) me, right? I don't have, I'm an introvert. I've never um, made friends with anybody. There's just these extroverts that come along and I'll be standing by myself in a social situation and they'll say, hey, what's up? Hey, uh, what, what do you do? Wow, you're really interesting. Hey, you want to hang out sometime? <laughs> that's the way it's always gone. I mean, that's my wife asked me out on our first date. I've never I've never um, engaged with 
somebody I've never been the proactive member, right? I, I'm going now I'm going to challenge that. <laughs> I, I have to challenge that uh, because it's fun. You were my student. Uh, we enjoyed the interaction. There was a time when we were really out of each other's lives. You reached out to me uh, with this marvelous opportunity, which is was which has taken a, a lot of your energy to to engineer and put together uh, uh, out of uh, joy, interest, friendship. We weren't friends when we you were one of my students. We have become so. That's a shifting and a changing, but. This wouldn't have happened if you hadn't proactively done that. I didn't come to you and say, "Hey, Joel, would you be able to do this?" You, you did that. So you, I, I have to challenge that you. Yeah, I guess that it would be sort of. Um, well, I watch I, I watch American Pickers sometimes, which is a show where these guys go around buying yep. junk from people. Yep. Well, when they buy the first piece of junk, they call it breaking the ice. Like as soon as you buy that first thing, then you have the the relationships flowing, you know, going. So that's, I guess that's kind of the way I look at it, right? So when we first started in class, um, you know, it was a safe space where there could be a two-way dialogue. And to me, that was breaking the ice. So at that point, then I knew, okay, now I know this guy. Did I really, like what, how much did I actually know you at that point? Not a whole lot, but I knew enough that, that there was, there was some potential there to develop a relationship, right? Um, but I still, you know, you know, if let's say I heard you uh, over, over, I overheard you having a philosophical conversation in a coffee shop or something, right? Even if I liked what you were saying, I don't think I'd, I'd go out of my way to say, okay, hey, all right. right. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So challenge and counter challenge. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I probably am overgeneralizing. I'm sure that if I really thought about it, there'd be times where I did, you know, step in and, and, and form a relationship somehow. But, but this is what thinking about belonging means. Yeah. No, I, I, there was, I, I've told you this many times, so it's an old story, but I'll keep it really brief, but it's about belonging. And I've, I've gone back to this in my head. Uh, I, in, in my, in my extreme youth, I uh, finally uh, did the uh, salvational, uh, soul-saving thing uh, with the Wesleyan Church because primarily uh, most of my friends were already saved. <laughs> I'm doing the air quotes. Um, and there was a lot of peer pressure, but there was also, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get to know people better, but it was mostly peer pressure. I went through this an intensive experience of, of an afternoon. I was, I was, I, I know now what they were trying to do, but I was welcomed into this church group by the people I'd been singing in the choir for a few years. I was a teenager. I'd, and everybody said to me, hi, I'm, and they introduced themselves as if they're, well, welcome. We're glad to have you. It's like, what is this? Mm. And so that experience lasted for about a day and a half. The trouble is that I kept maintaining it. Even uh, I, I, I would try to batter myself into believing that I believed. <laughs> But ultimately, no. And, and then I, then a different flash forward, a different pastor who had had been a Buddhist, and then he was a, a Wesleyan pastor. He wore a robe. He smoked a pipe. He had this amazing class for teenagers. 
Hmm. He was questioning everything. His wife is the next nun. And so I, I joined the church. But then when I went to college and the, the, the next pastor came along and sent the, um, the codification of, of the church, uh, what, what they were thinking about whether or not they were going to change some things. Here's all the rules and which I'd never seen before. And, and I wrote back this long letter. Single space typed on both sides because I was a college student. I was just full of myself and what I was learning, <laughs> and and challenging the ideas about women being subservient and this kind of thing. And and I received a letter uh, back a week or two later that said, oh, "Well, clearly your views don't hold with ours anymore. We've removed you from the membership rules." Now that's not how that's supposed to happen, but that's what was done. That sudden unbelonging was a freedom. But it also was a catalyst to me minoring in philosophy and religions. It started way back then, because you threw me out, because I was asking questions and challenging something you wanted us to talk about in the first place? How dare you? And and had that not happened, I might not have had the joyous intellectual, spiritual explorations of decades that I've had. So I suppose I have to thank Pastor Dick, which is what he called himself. <laughs> That's his name, not mine. And, and, uh, but I don't because it was the wrong thing to have done. So I don't belong. And yet I was going to a church for a long time because I was supportive of what the pastor was trying to do, but I couldn't accept the tenets of the church. Yeah. So that, I mean, that covers everything we've been talking about, right? It talks about how organizations continue to evolve over time, yeah. how people um, belong to organizations and, and how they conform and things. And it talks about, you know, the most recent thing we were talking about, which is the ownership, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and the kind of thought that we put into these things, which is usually not very much, even, even people like you and I who consider ourselves, uh, you know, in some ways to be, to be thinkers. Um, we talked about it last week, didn't when you were talking about hitting your head on the window and stuff, you know, it doesn't matter how smart you are. The human, yeah, the human, the human brain is hardwired in such a way as to try to take the path of least resistance. It's trying to automate as much as it can for you. So you don't have to be agonizingly, um, trying to make decisions over the littlest things. Um, and in many ways that's very beneficial to being a human. But in some ways, it's not right. So you're, you know, you you are sort of hardwired to want to put in the least amount of thought in order to get where you need to go. And when it comes to belonging, we don't think about it much. You know, okay, well, I I belong to this friend group or even a job, right? Okay, well, this monetary number, which money is just sort of an invented concept, anyways. This monetary number is going to decide where I decide to spend over a third of my life with with people. You know, I spend more time with these people than my wife or my family, um, all some kind of stuff. The, the work that you do, the things that you contribute to the world, all of this very important stuff, um, lots of times can boil down to, oh, well, this is my geographical location and this is the highest bidder, right? Yeah, yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, your, your anecdote there about, about the church also, you know, what, like you said, you didn't you didn't fully know what the church believed until you were provided a codified yeah. sort of thing. And then all of a sudden that made you realize, 
oh, I, I don't agree with some of this, you know? Yeah. But, you know, when when it comes to belonging, sometimes we don't consider a lot of this stuff. I think that I think that there's the emotional element. Like my friend said, the guy who who initiated this whole concept, this thought pattern in me, you know, to me, happiness is feeling that I belong. Well, that's true, right? Yeah. Feeling that you belong sometimes is enough to override that thought of, well, what are the beliefs of the organization? What are my beliefs? How is this affecting me and the world around me and these sorts of things. <laughs> Sometimes just that that shot of of dopamine is enough to say, <laughs> oh, well, this is where I'm going to stay or you know, that yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So that can be kind of dangerous, can it? Well it can it can be if it becomes a very passive thing. Mm-hmm. I mean even even in a family unit. And again, I, I there's so many people that I encountered in my work and 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 my friend life over decades uh, had horrific family experiences, you know. That, that, and so I'm not trying to speak in one term for for everybody about this, but I think that the commonality is that in one way or another, we have the opportunity, the agency, and perhaps the, even the responsibility to ourselves to think: to what degree do I go along with this unit mm-hmm. just because they spawned me? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've been trained into the the respect, and they've earned the respect, and and so on. But not in all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly don't agree with me about everything, and I certainly can't agree with uh, them about everything. And some are now gone. My mom passed, and so on. My dad's old, and he's about as viable as an old man. And therefore, I challenge him to keep. Why are you thinking this? You know, there's that dynamic of a relationship that sometimes leads to humorous exchanges, that sometimes leads to silences, <laughs> sometimes leads to complete changes of subjects because it's clear we're not going to be able to, to go there. But that itself makes you say, "What? What's so wrong that we can't even talk about this?" Um, that's much more active. And I'm not saying, "Well, look at me being superior." Like, no, <laughs> no, I've I've written way too much on things that. Yeah. Uh, about my family. I'm, so I'm not offering it as a superior thing. I'm just saying that when we engage with thinking about the things that we're not really supposed to think about, family, religion, whatever, politics, th- then we really can find a dynamic rekindling of what we think belonging means. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I'm thinking back to what you were saying earlier in the show when I was asking if belonging can occur in isolation, you know, when we were talking about the attributional or the aspirational and how, you know, a, a huge part of belonging does occur just with your interaction with yourself. And we've talked about relationships in the past and if you can have a relationship with yourself and this sort of thing. <laughs> but that's super important, right? Because, yes, it is. you know, if you if you don't engage in belonging with yourself, then your belonging with every other entity is going to be a passive relationship. You do have to, on some level, think about, well, what does it mean to be me? And this raises a whole bunch of other philosophical questions we've talked about in the past regarding meaning and identity and knowledge and all this other stuff. Um, but yeah, what what does it mean to be me? How do I, you know, how do I belong? Who do I want to? What things do I want to belong to? Ownership. Mm-hmm. What things do I want to own? You know, what things do I want to belong to me? And we keep changing, and yeah. therefore, our belonging to ourselves 
as well as to those immediately around us, is constantly in flux, whether it's because of how we change a house space, a space in which we live, any any number of, of things. We can't, I, I think we can't assert that we are uh, on the path to authenticity. Uh, I don't think you ever complete, uh, completely achieve authenticity any more than you completely achieve self Realization, actualization, as Maslow would have said. Yeah, moments. <laughs> all of those are nice moments, but it all collapses again. And but we're not authentic if we're not trying to figure ourselves out. Yeah, and I think that authenticity or the actualization isn't possible for the reason that we've. When we talked about authenticity, I compared it to an engine, right? You know, you have there's constant motion, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so authenticity isn't developing a static thing, but it's rather developing a running thing, something that has motion that moves and works well together. But when it comes to belonging, it's, it's very similar, right? Because you can't ever be authentic or, um, you can, you can never be authentic or, or actualized because you don't, you can't belong in isolation. So being part of the human race, which is, you know, concatenate to being part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all that stuff is always in flux. It's always changing. Yes. You know, uh, other people are changing. Um, you know, the environment's changing. Our knowledge is changing. All this stuff is changing. So you can't, you can never be authentic because y- you can't figure yourself out because you are codependent on everything else and everything else is changing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You said that so well. I I keep thinking because of my father, because of the the mechanistic metaphor. He's a mechanic. He was... How many of us can't even figure out exactly what the problem is in a car engine sometimes? Hmm. And that's a limited device with a finite number of pieces. We have an infinite number of pieces in ourselves from our experiences, from the way that our brains are firing, the number of neurons we have, on and on and on. If we can't even all the time figure out easily what's going on in a vehicle, how could we think that we know ourselves so well that snap, this is who we are, this is who we're always going to be, and therefore I belong to this because that's just how it, that always is. Yeah. Uh, that, no. Yeah, I mean, even if I was the most reflective, actualized, authentic person in the world, it all it takes is some aspect that makes up who I am changing to throw that in upheaval, right? Let's say I ask you next week, hey, Norm, you on a podcast? And you say, you know, I'm not really interested in philosophy anymore, and I don't want a podcast ever again, <laughs> right? That would sort of, you know, that, that would, might please some people, but I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some people would love that. But um, that would change fundamentally who I am, right? Because yeah. then all of a sudden I'd have to think, wow, this guy that I've looked up to and that we've had all these good conversations with, suddenly he decided that this thing we've put a lot of time into is mm-hmm. no longer worth doing. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure that after thinking through it, I would still come to a similar you know, I'd, I'd lay in a similar spot. You know, I'd think, well, you know what? I still think stuff is worth thinking about. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to, to move on. But it, it would fundamentally change my perspective in some way. It would. The same way any, any new experience does. And that's the point that I'm trying to make is any new experience, right? Um, yep. Whether you're getting yep, a new yep. job or whether you're having a family conflict or whatever it is, changes your perspective. So tr- this idea of authenticity, this idea of becoming who you are, 
it's not a real concept because you don't have static attributes that you're trying to attain. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is constantly reevaluating your current positions in light of the context you're in in order to determine what kind of groups you want to belong to and what sort of attributes you want to belong to. Yes, that yeah, that's really well said. And I and then we use we can use a local metaphor for the people who might be listening who are local. Let's think of Letchworth Park and going down uh, all the marvelous uh, paths and and trails. It, one would be foolishly hard pressed. Uh, one would be foolish being if being hard pressed to say that that trail on any given week is exactly the same trail. Hmm. There may be a shale slide. There may have been a little bit of a mudslide. This may have given way. You have to take a little detour around a a spot that that happened. Even though that trail has been laid in like all the ruts in our brains, there's still change. And if we're not sensitive to that, then we go falling off (laughs) or break an ankle or something. So what do you think some of the moral... Um, implications of belonging are specifically talking about um i guess misrepresentation or conformity mm-hmm. um what are some of the pitfalls of belonging what you just said misrepresentation and conformity if i utterly conform to everything uh, that the family unit wants or the the organization the workplace whatever unit it is uh i may be trying to be fiercely loyal and and accepting everything but if i accept everything that i'm not thinking about as we said this before so so i i think the pitfall is in conformity is that it it if it if it removes one's impetus to rethink yeah this is really interesting right because it can happen on both sides so if you're the organization you can misrepresent yourself and then require conformity and if you're the individual, you can misrepresent yourself and conform. And we, you know, the best um, sort of uh, illustration of that would be like job interviews, right? Mm-hmm. Or something. <laughs> but something you and I were talking about before the show really makes this conversation interesting, which was that there was an article that came out this week saying that um, women who don't perceive yeah. gender inequality report higher subjective happiness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if... and the objective fact of the matter is that there is gender inequality. Women get paid less. Women get treated worse. Yeah. Um, but women who don't perceive that, who say that doesn't exist, are happier, right? <laughs> so when it comes to this idea of belonging, which what we were just talking about, um, you know, if you just conform to whatever group you're in, you just become a cog in a machine, um, is it that bad, bad or good, right? So it's bad, right, from an intellectual perspective, from a philosophical perspective. You're not putting any thought into what you're doing. You could become a cog in a machine that um, has very deleterious consequences on the environment or society. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, if it, it's, it comes back to a value system, right? So if you value... You know, philosophy or intellectual pursuits, it's bad. But if what you value is happiness, just pure happiness, right? Or a feeling of um, comfortability or these sorts of things. Ah, yes. Right? Not the same thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if those are your primary values or objectives, then 
maybe that self-reflection or that that idea of belonging um isn't isn't bad do you think you could make that argument i think you i think i think people make that argument all the time welcome to philosophy we make you miserable <laughs> you know that's what socrates was saying all that is look, look, i'm a you don't call yourself a gadfly or other people call you that because you say oh i'm nice to be around <laughs> darn it here comes that fly again Get yeah. free, you know uh, but but happiness and comfortable comfortableness or comfortability are not uh, the, the same things in in value. I mm-hmm. think for those of us who are flies. <laughs> and so of course, what, what's one of the most ancient axioms about uh, what you don't know won't hurt you? Or or uh, you know, how many different uh, tropes are there about uh, don't get knowledge because it just makes you miserable hmm. i think that's what that, that case is that you that you've pointed out yeah so moral hedonism probably wouldn't um espouse a intellectual examination of belonging you know because well, they wouldn't see any value in it to the human experience i mean if you're thinking about it that way you know existentially you know what what the human experience is um, I guess if you're valuing an individual um, emotional state versus a collective human um, sort of viewpoint, it, that really kind of determines whether there is even a moral conundrum with conformity and misrepresentation mm-hmm. and belonging, which is really fascinating, right? You'd think that conformity and misrepresentation would just be explicitly wrong if looked at philosophically, but it's really not. It's and that's where the self-justificatory uh, activities happen with any of a political party or, or organizations which themselves change. They change their roles. Mm. Ah, some some group authority. We've talked about authority. Mm. Members, decided that um, you you can't have tattoos that that show. We find this uh, puts off uh, customers. Well, how did you find that? What determined that? Or is this just a group of people saying moralistically, no, we don't like tattoos, and so you're not going to have them? What does that tattoo ostensibly do to somehow uh, challenge somebody? Why would it even be a thing? Mm-hmm. You know, and and so uh, a simple, seemingly simple rule change uh, under underscores the necessity of rethinking and rethinking and rethinking. Don't want to belong with this anymore. Well, maybe I do because I like the paycheck, but but I don't like this. And I'm going to say something about it. Well, you don't have a right to say anything about it. You've signed on. Well, actually, you still do have a right to say some things about it as a, as a human being. Yeah, and that that happened while I was in the army. You know, I saw it swing in both directions. Where, um, you know, when I joined, you couldn't get in even if you had allergies because we were in a drawdown. And then when I was in, they drew down even further. And so they started making requirements tighter and tighter. And they came to the point where they said, hey, if you have any tattoos that can be, see- can be seen in hmm. summer PTs, which is short sleeves and shorts, you can't get promoted. Really? Right. And you had you had <laughs> high-ranking sergeants who had done two tours in of Iraq. Course. Who had tattoos yeah. that, were, that were, you know, espousing their pride I'm just in the military. how many Navy you yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, um... <laughs> You know, I, it didn't last Ridiculous. very long. It didn't last very long. They didn't. But then you have it on the other end of the spectrum, too, where we ran into some guys who had stories. It was before my time, but they had stories about at the height of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, the military coming under fire for 
um, accepting people who fell below the threshold for uh, mental disability hmm. being accepted. Okay. You know, and well, do they have the ability to consent to being sent into this situation when they don't meet this criteria? But because they were desperate for people, um, so there you go. That's the organization um, misrepresenting itself, um, conforming to the situation that it's in, mm-hmm. and um, the membership of it, and who is having ownership and who's having belonging changing um, over the course of time, depending on the situation. I wonder if that was emasculating. (laughs) (laughs) Having too much fun here. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess the last question we'll sort of tie it up with is um, how do belonging and identity interact and what does that say about our agency? Well, I'm going to go to a Finnish cartoon for that one. There's a, a, a to, Tove Jensen, a marvelous cartoonist, recognized around the, the planet. And there have been a centennial gatherings of, of her work. But one of the storylines she went with was she asked a question that she explored in many, many, many uh, iterative comics and uh, but the question was this or the statement was this it's rather difficult when one has many friends to show a loyalty to all of them at the same time hmm. so you see where i'm going with yeah, this? yeah. Uh, uh, that that the more things one belongs to one belongs to a friend if one is committed to a relationship that's active with that friend. You know, Facebook has changed that whole terminology. Yeah. You can't have 400 friends. Sorry, it's just right. not <laughs> Even Vonnegut would say that. But, but, if, uh, but uh, if, if friendship implies an active interest being taken on a regular basis, and what the word regular means is up to the people who are in the friendship, uh, you probably wouldn't be able to put all of your friends in the same room and have <laughs> a really comfortable experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, well, would you be able to put all of your organizations reduced to an individual in the same room, the organizations that you find yourself committed to at that moment, and say, yep, they're all on the same path, they're all, they're all on the same page? Probably not. And there's just really fascinating um, implications of that, right? Because you you talked about Vonnegut talking earlier about how you should have these experiences with as many different types of people as you can. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it comes down to what those relationships are, right? And I think that you can see how those relationships play out determining what that scenario would be like. Because you can see a scenario where somebody has a lot of friends and they get them all together and it's very uncomfortable but you could also see a situation where somebody who has a bunch of interactions with a bunch of people could get together and it would just be fascinating right there would yes. be a lot there'd be a lot of value added fascinating doesn't mean smooth and simple right but yeah absolutely i think that would well, like we talked about absoluteness <laughs> yeah it would i think it would indicate the viability of the dynamic nature of each of those relationships yeah so what's tied up in this um in both of those people could belong to these groups right mm-hmm. um but what the identity and the agency of the individual is says how that experience is going to go right so some people it you does. know how people conform to the groups they belong to when they're out of sight of other groups um 
you know, how they express their own beliefs, their own opinions, the ownership they take for those sorts of things. All those different things sort of play into what that experience would be like, right? Yes. And there's there's a a, a um, psychological school that talks about people acting like actors on a stage, right? You know, you don't always act the same in front of everybody. And I don't pretend that I do. You know, there's definitely if you got together everybody that I know into one room, in in many ways it would be uncomfortable with some some groups or the other. But I think by and large it would be more fascinating than mm-hmm. uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think that I think that there would be very few individuals that would be like, well, you're you don't you're not even the person that I knew in this other setting, right? You know, I think that most people, uh, you know, understand would see a commonality, at right? There, there would be a sense of identity and a sense of agency that would that would cross those boundaries um, in the groups that I belong to or the uh, the attributional characteristics that I own. So, but yeah, it's something to think about. It is. All right. Until next time, keep talking.